All right. So this morning, we're going to spend some time in John chapter 1. So you can grab a Bible and open up to that. Today begins Advent, a season that is marked with hurry, with headache, and with hassle. In this time of year, we get caught up with lists and checking them twice. Suddenly, the most important thing to us is the material, not the spiritual. We look at the month of December as a time to get all that shopping in, to make all the necessary cookies and fixings and decorate our house to look just a little bit better than our neighbors. And now that Thanksgiving is done, Advent time is here. Time to decorate, time to shop, time to eat, and time to crank up that Christmas music finally, right? But wait, for us, sitting here this morning, for us, those of us that take serious the call to follow Jesus Christ, this time of year has to look different from that. We can enjoy this season. We can decorate trees. We can make cookies. We can decorate our homes. And truly, I tell you, I, I love this time of year. I do. I look forward to family time. Um, I look forward to driving around to houses and looking at lights. So I appreciate those people that spend the time to decorate their house. I, in, I look forward to eating what comes out of my wife's kitchen. So I'm thankful for the time Sarah spends in the kitchen making and baking. I look forward to sitting around the fire, to reading Christmas stories, and so much more. So many other family memories that I have around this time of year. And for the last several years, one of our newer family tradition is to hang a large star made out of lights on the front of our house. We have the privilege to live half underground, and so I can jump up on the roof, hang some big Christmas lights, and we have this ginormous star on the front of our house. Um, and we do that as a reminder. We do that as a reminder that during Christmas, we need to be pointed back to Christ, and we need to be pointing others to Christ. In this time of year, we all need to make sure that we are shining the light of Christ brighter than any other light that we decorate with this year. That means at the heart of our celebrating, at the heart of our parties, at the heart of our baking, at the heart of family time, there has to remain and be made much of the reason we celebrate. And that reason is the hope of the coming Christ. So I'm going to read John one through, I think it's, yeah, it says eight up there. I'm actually going to go a little further than that. I changed my mind. So um, please stand for the reading of God's word. John 1, 1 to 13. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, 
and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not by blood, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is the word of the Lord. So we're going to start at the beginning this morning. We're going to go back to when there was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Sometimes in my hurry to celebrate the birth of Jesus this time of year, I overlook the fact that he was with God. Jesus wasn't just waiting in a hospital to be delivered to earth. He was living in perfect community. The triune God living in perfect harmony with each other. Jesus existed in perfect communion before he was sent to this earth. All things that were made were made through him. They were made through Jesus Christ for us. Talk about an amazing gift. Christ literally gave us everything that we see here on earth. Take a look around. Look around this sanctuary. From the sunlight that sometimes comes through these beautiful windows to the dust particles that float through that sunlight. From the immense, the things that we can't even comprehend, to the minute. Everything was made through Christ. It is in Christ that we find life. Even today, when we have when we think we have all the answers as humans as to how this world works, Christ is the only true source of light, of goodness that overcomes darkness, and he is still alive with God to be our intercessor and speak for us even though we don't deserve it. Jesus is God's gift to the world. Jesus, the all-powerful Son of God who was with God is now sent to earth in the form of a helpless baby. Christ is a baby. He's our our great savior and our great protector. But he came in the form that needed protection. It kind of reminds me of the line from Aladdin when the genie pops out of the the lamp and he says, all the phenomenal cosmic powers in an itty-bitty living space, right? Jesus has... Truly, all the powers of the universe. He created everything in the universe. Everything. And now he's sent to earth as a tiny baby that can't even feed himself. You know the story, right? Born of a virgin in a manger, hunted by a jealous king, raised as the son of a carpenter into a world that would ultimately kill him. Jesus is the reason we are all sitting here today because of his sacrifice. And there's something about him that draws us to that sacrifice. There's that irresistible grace that once you taste it, you can't help but want more. And you may not even know what that looks like. But once you've tasted and seen, you can't help but be drawn to who Jesus is. And I need you to understand all that this morning. 
I don't have words to fully express how amazing Jesus is. So we're going to use his words here and there. Uh, And you don't need to turn to these. I'm just going to read snippets here and there. Matthew 4, 1 to 11. This is the temptation of Jesus. So after he's been out in the desert fasting 40 days, 40 nights, um, Satan comes to him and says, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands he will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So Jesus, after spending days in the desert, resists the devil by using God's own words. And I always kind of find it funny when he takes him up to the mountain. This is a sidebar. And he shows him all the kingdoms of the earth. I wonder if Jesus was like, yeah, dude, I created all this. I, I know. Like, I've been there. I've done that. I, I did this. Um, so I thought it was kind of silly that the devil's like, hey, I'll give you what's yours already. Um, but Jesus resists them with the words of the Old Testament. Later in Matthew 9, we see Jesus' power as he heals. Nine two through eight, um, and I'll just read a, a snippet of this. Uh, Behold, some people brought to him a paralytic man laying on a bed, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, "Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven." And that sends the religious people into a tizzy. They didn't like that at all. Um, they they viewed that as blasphemy. But this is Jesus revealing his ability to forgive sin and heal people. If we go to Mark 1, we hear an example of Jesus calling his disciples. It says this, Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And these guys, these ordinary guys, dropped everything they have and they follow Jesus. There are many times that we see in the Bible about how Jesus reshaped this world from sin into grace. This morning, it is important that you hear that. That you hear and believe that Jesus Christ is the one and only Savior of the world, who came to earth, lived and died for you and for me, and for every sinner that hears and believes that he is the only way to to God. Jesus Christ is our only hope. Not for our own sake, so that um, we can say we've been saved or that we can say we've achieved anything, but Jesus came so that God may get the glory and the honor and the praise that only he deserves. So as we look around, as we look at our lives, I think it's safe to say that we have plenty. There may be things we want, 
There may even be some things that we need, but on the whole, we, we probably have plenty. We just celebrated Thanksgiving, a day dedicated to remembering the blessings that we have and the people that we are blessed to share them with. But what was your main event on Thanksgiving? Was it gathering with friends and family? Or was it this huge, amazing meal with mashed potatoes and gravy and, and delicious, wonderful turkey? Was it a football game on TV? Or was Thanksgiving really about the time that we had set aside to thank God for that food, for those people, and for the truly immeasurable joy that we get to have because a baby was born for us? So as we let that turkey settle down, we enter into the season where we as Christians have a unique opportunity. Traditionally, this time of year starts church plays, uh, Christmas music on the radio, and Christmas movies playing almost 24-7 on TV. This is the time of year that it's okay to talk about Christ, right? Because we see it. We see it on TV. We hear it. We can invite family and friends to church plays because it's, it's safe at Christmas to do that. And as I was preparing for this morning, um, I couldn't help think and cycle through some of my favorite Christmas movies. And I don't know what it is about Christmas movies. I don't know if, if you're like this too, but, but they just get me. I enjoy watching them. I enjoy laughing at movies like Elf, right? I enjoy getting sentimental about watching the original Grinch Who Stole Christmas, thinking of my childhood. Um, so there, there's just something about Christmas movies that get me, and maybe it's that I only get to see them once a year, or that they, they spark that childhood innocence of days past, but I wanted to talk about Christmas movies a little bit this morning. So I was reflecting on some of my favorite movies, and I realized that every main character in these movies, like many movies that need to move a plot line along, have an issue. All right, and we're going to explore some of those issues for a bit in, in a few different movies. And the reason that we were doing that is because I found myself identifying with some of these issues that these characters had. Maybe not in the same circumstances, uh, but the underlying issues were similar. And they seem to crop up this time of year more than, than others. So as we hear in John 1, Jesus was with God from the beginning, and then he came to earth. When he came to earth, people received him. His parents received him. Wise men traveled a far way to receive him. Shepherds received him. And other people rejected him. Many other people rejected him. And my question for us this morning is how do you receive our Savior? So we're going to look at some character flaws from the following movies to see what the world thinks we should do to prepare for Christmas. And if you're like me, you may find yourself identifying with a few of these traits. So on the screens in a minute will appear some pictures. And uh, this will also be your, your Nathan's favorite Christmas movies quiz to see if you recognize the characters from my favorite Christmas movies. So if you recognize the character, don't be shy, just yell it out, okay? And if you're wrong, you'll be asked to leave. If you're right, you'll be able to stay, okay? So if you can put the first picture up. Who's that guy? Yeah! Way to go, Breck. So that is Jack Skellington from Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, this is one of my favorite Christmas movies because it works both for Halloween and for Christmas. But here, <clears throat> I'll give you a little bit of history of it. 
Uh, Jack is the king of Halloween, but he feels empty inside, which is kind of funny because he's a skeleton. So you would think he'd feel empty inside anyway. But the reason he feels empty inside is because what he does leaves him feeling unfulfilled. He is adored by everyone in the town that he lives in. He is a leader because of the very good work that he does. And at the end of the day, <clears throat> after this, this one particular Halloween, he sings a song about his lament that no one understands his plight. In Jack's lament, he says this, yet year after year, it's the same routine. And I grow so weary of the sound of screams. And I, Jack, the pumpkin king, have grown so tired of the same old thing. Is that where you're at this Christmas? Have you grown so tired of the same old thing? Year after year, we hear about this baby and he's in the hay and there's a young mom and we know this baby's going to save us. Do you let the Christmas story just skip across the surface of your life? Because you've heard it before. It's that been there, done that syndrome. Do you look towards Christmas thinking, ah, what I have is fine, but I think there's more. I think there's more that I need to find. What else is there? Because I am just not content where I'm at. So you look everywhere. You seek for things that you do not need. And in that searching, oftentimes, we miss the gifts that God gave us to use right where we're at. In 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10, it says this. But he said to me, he being Jesus, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am, for when I am weak, I am made strong. Are you content where God has you? Do you rely more on the grace of Christ than you do on your own strength? I know my habit is to look for ways to insert myself, not always so God can get the glory, but so I can get the recognition. And that is the Jack model, the Jack Skellington model of preparing for Christmas. What else is there that I can accomplish? And oftentimes, when you have the Jack model, it leaves you feeling empty, serving where God has placed you. The next slide. Who's that guy? Anyone? You won't really have to leave if you get it wrong. Thank you, George Bailey from A Wonderful Life. So this guy has a tough day at work. He lets some people down. He has lots of problems. <clears throat> and around Christmas time, he's thinking of ending it all. Standing on a bridge, getting ready to leap off, an angel appears and shows his town without a minute. George thinks that he's not important at all, and that others would be better off if he had never been born. He counts himself insignificant, but not in the way that we want to live in humility under the headship of Christ. He counts himself insignificant, more like God made a mistake when he created George. 
We all know that God doesn't make mistakes. And in the end, George realizes that he has a place and he was not a mistake. But sometimes we find ourselves there, thinking that this world would be better off if I were not in it. We don't look at Christ the baby as a baby that came for us. Sometimes we think that we are not worthy of his sacrifice. And that line of thought can really diminish what Christ has done for us. Christ knew that the only way to save us was to give himself up for us. There was no substitute for that. And he also knew that we did not deserve it. But through Jesus, we are made worthy. Psalm 22, 6 through 9 says this, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Even in our darkest times, we have the assurance that Christ was born, lived a perfect life, and was crucified, and now is in heaven with the Father on our behalf. Sometimes Christmas for many can be a time of depression and disappointment, and time that we are reminded that we have failed and that we are not adequate. Sometimes we can let these feelings drive us further and further from God and into our own heads. And that's what we see in this character. But God, which are two of my favorite words in scripture, but God reminds us that he loves us so much that he sent his only son so that we can be with him. This time of year, I would encourage you to rest in that truth. And so the George model of preparing for Christmas is feeling worthless to the point of worthlessness, not recognizing what he has around him. The next photo. Who's that guy? Ralphie. Ralphie from A Christmas Story. Yep. So this movie... Is it about a young boy uh, in the days and weeks leading up to Christmas in a small town in Indiana? Uh, Ralphie is a pretty normal kid with a fairly normal family life. He has a younger brother and a mom and a dad. And as Christmas draws near, all he can think about, write about, and talk about is what he wants for Christmas. And that is an official Red River. Oh, hang on. I practice this so much. It's an official Red Rider carbine action, 200 range shot, range model air rifle with a compass in the stock and this thing that tells time. His desire consumes him. It eats him up from the inside out. Everyone keeps telling him, you'll shoot your eye out, kid. So he, he feels like he has no hope in getting what he actually wants for Christmas. And that consumption affects everything he does leading up to Christmas to the point that he can't concentrate on anything. And this is us, right? It doesn't even need to be Christmas. It can be any time of the year. We're constantly looking for the next big thing, the next toy, the next car, the next nice meal, the next largest, greatest, faster, bigger, better thing. We look for anything that we can see and taste and touch, smell and consume that will fill our lives. We are a people who are desperate to have something that we can possess that will fill the need we have. 
even when we know that the only way to fill that need is to have Jesus. But we still look. We often think we need to have tangible things that will help us along. James 4.2 says, You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And this is a flimsy example, but I see James 4.2 in this movie. Ralphie allows himself to get consumed with desire, consumed with covetousness, feeling like he'll never get it, he can never attain it, so he acts out, he fights, he's not himself. Where do you see that in your life? You may not get into physical fights, but we allow our wants to get in the way of how we need to live. We try to replace God with stuff, and we do not ask God for what we really need, and therefore, we don't get it. So the Ralphie model leading up to Christmas is want, 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 more, more, more stuff. It's that consumer mentality of Christmas. So those three characters are good stereotypes about how our world thinks we need to get ready for Christmas. This last one's a little different, but still fits the mold. So who is this guy? Cool. And Snoopy. We're going to talk about Charlie Brown. Um, So you all know Charlie Brown. He's a character that's been around forever, it feels like. He's often found failing at something, though, from kicking a football to trick-or-treating and pretty much everything he does. He's an example of that guy, that guy that just can never get it right. Charlie Brown, though, never gives up. He usually ends the day with some sort of glimpse of greatness. If you know the Christmas special, Charlie Brown is tasked with directing the play, um, the Christmas play with the kids. As the show progresses, the kids in the play really just seem to want to dance around and be silly. And Charlie Brown cannot control them. He seems to have a flop on his hands. And Lucy, sensing that she just wants to get rid of Charlie Brown, sends him out to get a tree for the stage. She tells him specifically not to screw up in no uncertain terms. So Charlie Brown goes and chooses a tree that is small and frankly just bad looking. He brings it back to the school to show the gang and they're mad because he chose that tree. So he leaves with the tree and he goes home. There he takes a single ornament and tries to hang it from the tree and the tree bends right over to the ground. At that point, he's deflated So he goes inside. A few minutes later, the rest of the children come, and one of the kiddos wraps his blanket around the base and says that it's really not a bad tree. Then the kids uh, end up making the tree look fantastic. In the end, the play is good, and it actually presents one of my personal favorite tellings of the biblical Christmas story shown on television. I highly recommend it. Charlie Brown is a reminder that God doesn't put us here on earth to be an island unto ourselves. He's put us here so that we can point others to Christ by our words and our deeds. Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron and one man shapes another. Charlie Brown is the closest character to what I'm going to get at in a little bit here this morning. 
but he still falls short. Charlie Brown on his own looks like a failure. But in the Christmas episode, when the other kids come and they circle around that tree and they make it look wonderful, he recognizes the power of having friendship. So the Charlie Brown model is do what you can and rely on friends to help you. But now none of these characters really point us to Christ. They are really just fake characters to help us make, make us feel better about our lives, right? You can watch it. You can escape reality for a little bit. You can walk away saying, at least I'm not as bad as that guy. And it's fun to watch them, but probably not fun to imitate them. We're going to look at another person, though, who is worthy of imitating because of the way he dedicates his life to God. So I'm going to read again from John 1. starting at uh, verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So now John the Baptist is on the scene. He is one of my favorite biblical characters, and I am very excited this morning to talk about his life and the way he prepared the way for Jesus. Like the characters above, he has his flaws and his issues. Like all of us sitting here, we have our flaws and our issues. But John was different. John was born with a mission, and he knew it. John had laser-like focus on what God sent him to earth to do. To keep the movie references going, his determination reminds me of a line from the Blues Brothers. Whenever they're asked what they're doing, their response is, we're on a mission from God, right? John actually is on a mission from God, though. This man who was probably seen as a wild man, a man who did not live in a town, he didn't do the normal things that other people did, he didn't eat regular food, he didn't wear regular clothes, he didn't even talk like others they knew. John wasn't a politician who was going to talk out of both sides of his mouth so that um, he could come in power to set up a government structure so that Christ could come as a ruling king. That is not the way John prepared for Jesus Christ. No, John's mission was to come, to live in the wilderness, and to baptize people. He baptized people with water in God's name, knowing all along that one day he would baptize God's own son, our Savior. In Matthew 3, 1 to 6, I'm going to read these words because they do a far better job than I could. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, 
And they were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. That's what John did. John knew how to receive Christ. He had worked his whole ministry, or his whole life, to build a ministry. He built this ministry of preparing the way. His ministry would make straight the path for the Lord. John had followers. He had people that went where he went, that were discipled by him. He had influence. But when John saw the true Savior, he let his stuff go. He encouraged people not to follow him anymore, but to follow Jesus. We don't see that very often in our world. People don't tend to give up power that they have acquired. But John gave all of his power up because he knew where the true power resided. The John model of preparing for Christmas is don't hold on tightly to things of this world. Because if you do, you'll miss our one and true Savior even if he walks right past you. This December, start a new trend. Start a trend where everything in your life points to the true light of Jesus Christ. We are not the light. Thank God. But like John, we have an awesome responsibility to bear witness about that light into this world. The world will tell us this time of year at Christmas time that we need to consume. The world will tell us that we need to gain all that we can. We need to get, we need to gather, we need to have. This season will bring hardships. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying that our Christian life, for that matter, will be easy. But God will do amazing things. So whether you might be feeling like Jack, that you're not effective where you're planted, try seeking God. Try seeking God first and be intentional to look for him. Or if you're feeling like no matter what you do, it just doesn't make a difference, like George felt. Remember that God doesn't make mistakes, and he certainly didn't make a mistake with you. He has a plan for your life. This time of year, we can all, all we can think about sometimes is making that I want list for Christmas, similar to Ralphie, but I encourage you to take a step back. Look at what you do have. Look at the people that God has placed in your life and appreciate what God has already given you. Finally, if you just cannot seem to get it right like Charlie Brown, look around you. Look at the amazing people God has placed into your life and rely on them as iron sharpens iron. One of the biggest blessings for me to be a part of this church is I can look around at any given moment and know that there's someone that I can count on who will hold me accountable, who will encourage me, um, who will be that other person that I need at that time to encourage me so that my life looks more like Christ's. We have amazing people in this church. So use them. The world will tempt us to our own destruction, but we can shine our light 
the same light that was born in a manger, lived a perfect life and was crucified for us and now lives in heaven with the Father. I'm going to read again from the Valley of Vision because there were two that I really wanted to read this morning. And um, so I just decided to read both of them and I think it fits here. So remembering that, that we are to shine our light, the light of Jesus Christ, our true Savior and truth with a capital T of God's word, using that. Hear this. My Father, in a world of created, changeable things, Christ and his word alone remain unshaken. Oh, to forsake all creatures, to rest as a stone on him the foundation, to abide in him, be borne up by him. For all my mercies come through Christ, who has designed, purchased, promised, affected them. How sweet it is to be near him, the lamb, filled with holy affections. When I sin against thee, I cross thy will, love, life, and have no comforter, no creature to go to. My sin is not so much this or that particular evil, but my continual separation, disunion, distance from thee, and having a loose spirit towards thee. But thou hast given me a present, Jesus thy son, as mediator between thyself and my soul, as middle man who in the pit holds both him down below and him above. For only he can span the chasm breached by sin and satisfy divine justice. May I always lay hold upon this mediator as a realized object of faith and alone worthy by his love to bridge the gulf. Let me know that he is dear to me by his word. I am one with him by the word on his part and by faith on mine. If I oppose the word, I oppose my Lord when he is, my, when he is most near. If I receive the word, I receive my Lord wherein he is nigh. O thou who hast the hearts of all men in thine hand, form my heart according to the word, according to the image of thy son. So shall Christ the word and his word be my strength and my comfort. This morning, we live in that tension. We live in the tension of waiting for Jesus' return. And our job, much like John the Baptist, is to be that voice saying, make straight his path as we live in the hope of Jesus' return. So now we are about to dive headlong into the Christmas rush. In this Advent season, let us all slow down a little bit and remember that the light of the world has come into the world that was created through him. And all the world, although the world did not know him, we do. We know the light of the world. And that right there is reason enough to light a tree and shout from our rooftops, prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. Let's pray.